0: This is an ABC podcast. Hi, it's All In The Mind on RN Summer. I'm Lynne Malcolm. And to celebrate my years as host on All In The Mind, we bring you some of my favourite programs. And How Could I Forget This One from 2018.
1: And I can't forget I can't forget I can't forget, I can't forget.
0: your earliest memory? Could it possibly go back to when you were a newborn baby?
2: It was the 23rd of December 1989 when I was 12 days old. I was lying down on the sheepskin car cover of the four-wheel drive and my parents were taking a picture of me and I was just looking up at the camera wondering what it was looking up at the steering wheel of the car because I was on the driver's seat wondering what it was. And at that age, every sight I heard, every scent I smelt, just everything was a novelty then, and I was just curious to keep learning.
0: Are you really feeling and experiencing that 12th day as you're speaking to me?
2: Yeah, just emotionally and just how busy my mind was back then when I was a 12-day-old baby. Do you think you remember anything about, say, your birth? I don't remember leaving the womb, but I remember being in a bed with glass walls around me and I was on a cotton blanket and I was just... My head was up just looking at just mainly the ceiling above me and the heads of the people who were putting blankets on me and dressing me. And I can't say for certain if that was the day I was born because I didn't know calendars at that young age, but I'm guessing that it was on or around that time.
0: Becky Sharrick remembers every one of her 28 birthdays. In fact, she can't forget any single day of her life. She's one of approximately 60 people in the world and the only known person in Australia with this kind of exceptional memory. It's known as Highly Superior Autobiographical Memory, or
1: HSAM. Yes, this is a very rare and very selective type of memory ability. And really it's that skill that allows someone to accurately recall an exceptionally high number of personal experiences and perhaps dates from events occurring throughout their lives. So this is the autobiographical or personal memories that one holds. So this is not very common and often people are unaware that they have an exceptional ability to do this until they hear about it, say, on the radio or perhaps on a TV program.
0: Associate Professor Gail Robinson in Health and Behavioural Sciences at the University of Queensland. HSAM was first identified in 2006 at the University of California, Irvine. This group is still working to understand the underlying neural basis of the condition. Gail Robinson is conducting HSAM research in Australia with a single participant, Becky Sharrick. Becky thought her memory was completely normal until she was in her early 20s and she and her family saw a TV doco describing HSAM. Then they realised that this is what Becky has. I asked Becky how good she is at linking dates to events throughout her life.
2: Every morning since I was 14 years old, I've crossed dates off on my calendar each morning. So I know what days of the week certain dates fell on. Any date from 2004 onwards, I can tell you what day of the week it fell on.
0: Can I give you some dates and let me know what you remember about those dates? Yeah. The first one,
2: 4th of September 2006. The 4th of September 2006 was a Monday And on that particular day, I was going to my therapist who I was seeing for my autism. I was on my way to see him when my stepdad called my mum and said, did you hear Steve Irwin died from a stingray? Yes. And, And I couldn't believe it. I said, no, I didn't hear of that because Steve Irwin, I looked at him as invincible to any animal attack. He'd done so many daring things with crocodiles. I thought there's no way on earth Steve Irwin could have died. But then I saw the news afterwards and it was true and it was sad and mm. and um especially since he had two young children at the time and it was sad for it was sad for Terry and it was sad that little Robert, who was only two years old at the time, that he didn't Get a chance to spend a lot of time with his dad. Yeah. Wow, that is. It is a Monday, too.
0: <laughs> so, what about the 24th of June 2010?
2: The 24th of June 2010 was a Thursday. Yes. I didn't come across any new news that day, but when I was reading the papers, it was still all over the headlines. It was the oil spill in America. It was the eruption of the volcano in Iceland. That was still going on. Even though it happened months before, they were still talking about the oil spill. They were still talking about the Iceland volcano eruption. But I didn't come across any new news that day.
0: What about the 22nd of January 2008?
2: The 22nd of January 2008 was a Tuesday. Yes. And on that day, again, I didn't watch the news, but it was feeling so strange to me because it was the first year in a very long time that I wasn't returning to school because I graduated in 2007, so all of my younger siblings were getting ready for school and I just felt so disorganised because I didn't have any of my books ready. It just felt so strange.
0: Becky Sharrock is a big fan of Harry Potter. Could she really remember and recite every chapter of every book? Now, I believe that you're a very big fan of the Harry Potter book series.
2: Yes, definitely.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, I wondered if I could start a chapter of a book and see if you can tell me the next few lines. Yeah. Okay. October arrived.
2: Spreading a damp chill over the grounds grounds and and into into the the castle. castle. (laughs) Madame Pomfrey, the matron, was kept busy by a sudden spate of colds amongst the staff and students. Exactly. (laughs) So tell me, what book was that from? That was Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, which is the second in the series, And it was Chapter 8, The Death Day Party. That's right. (laughs) That's amazing.
0: (laughs) Let me give you another one. Harry went down to breakfast the next morning to find the three
2: Dursleys already Already sitting around around the the kitchen kitchen table. table. They were watching a brand new television, a welcome home for the summer present for Dudley, who had been complaining about the long walk between the television and the fridge in the living room. (laughs) That's Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, which is the third in the series. Mm -hmm. And it's chapter two, Aunt Marge's big mistake. Yeah, that's
1: that's amazing. (laughs) Okay, That's one part of Becky. Another component is... Really just having very detailed memories of mundane events. So what she was doing in the family home on certain days or what the family did or what the conversation was. And I think her mother finds that a little daunting on occasions because Becky might ask her mother an opinion or ask her to give advice and a year later she might ask the same question and of course her mother doesn't remember what she said whereas Becky has a very good recollection of <laughs> word for word what her mother said so it it actually is quite an interesting ability from that respect as well. Gail Robinson from the University of Queensland. In terms of HSAM one of the diagnostic questionnaires, really, is to that 10 dates are randomly generated for that individual. So it's a 10 dates quiz, and HSM individuals like Becky have a very high consistency in what they say happened on those days, and very routine things that you and I would probably never dream of even trying to remember.
0: Gail Robinson. Becky's autobiographical memory is truly impressive but her recollections also trigger associated emotions.
2: Emotions attached to memories, that's what makes them most difficult because the memory itself is just a file you go over, but it's when the emotions return, that's what makes them either a pleasure or a discomfort. With negative memories, I don't like reliving them because if it was from a time when I was depressed, I relive depression. But with a positive memory, I relive all the happy things. There was one particularly troubling one that I relived five years ago now, It's when I was walking down a path and I saw a leaf on the ground, which was at a similar angle to how it was at a time when I was walking home from school. And when I relived that time, on that particular day after I walked home from school, I'd been bullied that day. So the emotions, when that memory was formed, I was depressed because a bully said something to me. Then years later, when I saw a leaf that was similar to one that I saw on the path walking home, I again relived just the depression and the feeling of hopelessness that I experienced back at that time. So this must become overwhelming
0: to you. How do you live with so much information and
2: so much emotion in your head all the time? I must say, it is very tiring. I've never known life differently, but I get a lot of headaches. I have trouble sleeping each night. And when I'm sleeping, I have to have my brain stimulated to enable me to fall asleep. I'll have my television on or some music on, because if it's dark and quiet, I'll be kept awake by all these involuntary memories that are going through my head. So I've learnt ways to adapt to it, but it can get really overwhelming at times.
0: I believe you can also refeel physical pain and retaste food, yeah. for example.
2: Yeah, that works positively and negatively. Positively is especially the case for re-tasting food. Because if I see the word Black Forest cake, because Black Forest cake gatto, that's my favourite. That's my favourite dessert. So whenever I see the word or think of Black Forest, I can retaste the cream, the chocolate and the cherries. And I really like that, especially if I'm eating a bland food like potato. But if it's a food that I really don't like, not even a memory can cover the taste. Yeah. Mm. reliving physical pain I could remember grazing myself as a three-year-old grazing my knee that's a three-year-old it hurts so much more than it does when you're an adult and it just burns and stings and I just remember crying in my grandparents living room because it the sensation was as it, its the same as now as an adult. If I burn myself on something, just the stinging. And now, if I get a graze on my knee, I won't even—I won't even notice it. But back then, it just hurt so much. So,
1: Becky has something that we call synesthesia, where if she's thinking about certain objects or even colours, it has an association with something different. So she might think about the colour yellow, and then she can taste chalk in her mouth. Or I think there was another example with black forest cake. Mm. So her perception of stimuli is heightened. Gail Robinson.
0: You're with All In The Mind on RN. I'm Lynne Malcolm. I'm speaking with Becky Sharrock, who can remember details of every single day of her life since she was a newborn. She has a rare condition called Highly Superior Autobiographical Memory, or HSAM. Becky also has been diagnosed with Obsessive Compulsive Disorder and Autism.
2: They are very different conditions, but I think the OCD has more links to my HSM than the autism does. It's slightly different from the stereotypes. When we have OCD, it's not that we're just, we have to have everything in straight lines, we have to have everything in perfect order. It's more a case of whenever events and experiences happen to us we just fixate on them and we can't get them out of our mind. And it can become a problem if we just can't let go of emotions or let go of an issue. And that's where I I have to do therapy and I take medication for that. But the difference between OCD and HSAM though is that remembering things isn't an obsession. It's just something your brain does. you just You remember something and the memories that I remember don't have any, most of them don't have any emotional significance to me. I don't have any fixation or obsession with that event. It just comes back in my mind.
0: And Becky also has a diagnosis of autism and obsessive compulsive disorder. Are these conditions related to her
1: superior autobiographical memory? Well, that's obviously one of the questions. So, really, we're trying to look at the source of this highly superior autobiographical memory and there are several ideas about why that might come about. One of them is related to the OCD, the obsessive-compulsive disorder, the idea being that there's passive rumination, which is obsessive, so she thinks about these events a lot... If one does that, does that actually strengthen the memory the more that you ruminate on that? So that's certainly been found by the group in California. They have actually shown that the stronger or the better the highly superior autobiographical memories, the higher they rate on an OCD scale. So they have more features consistent with Obsessive compulsive disorder. So there seems to be a little bit of truth with that. With regards to the autism, we haven't seen that in the literature really supported at all yet, but one of the features in the autism individuals is there tends to be a comorbidity of high anxiety. Now, Becky does have quite severe anxiety and she manages that with psychological strategies. But one of the other ideas about why the autobiographical memory is so good is that the high anxiety means there's high level of arousal. So there's a higher intense personal experience that's associated with all these memories. And if you actually also ruminate or think about those again, the emotional arousal is higher than the average individual. So that could contribute to some sort of heightened encoding and consolidation of these memories. So those two diagnoses that Becky certainly has had, they possibly could be contributing, but it's very difficult to disentangle that. So you're studying Becky. She's your only subject because it's such a rare
0: condition. What are some of the other theories that you're investigating in terms of why some people have this amazing ability?
1: Well, yeah, that's an interesting question. And really, we're, we're following up sort of on two avenues. And it's really related to the personality or the natural innate abilities of these individuals. The idea being there's a higher level of absorption. So when somebody is thinking or encoding a memory, there's attention to the detail where the memory encoding is stronger. So we're looking at the imagination and also fantasy proneness, because if you're absorbed in a memory and there's a fantasy about that in the sense of you're thinking about it and vividly reimagining and really going into all the details in their richness in terms of the perception. So we've already talked about her sensory and exceptional perception of information, but perhaps also the emotional component or a deeper or richer ability to really see the details when she's thinking about that event. Is her recollection of that, is that actually just richer in terms of the colours or the temporal sequencing or the spatial relationships of all the details. So basically, there's an idea here that it may be that her autobiographical memories are richer or that she has this increased tendency to fantasy, as in to really reimagine all the different bits to their extreme, whereas we probably wouldn't bother quite so much. So we're following those things up by looking at her autobiographical memory, both past episodes as well as into the future. This relates to memory and time travel. Do HSM individuals actually have a greater ability to imagine the events of tomorrow or next year?
0: What are you finding about her ability to look into the future?
1: I must also say that we're very tentative at this stage because we're still gathering and analysing data, but it appears to me that there's not a great difference in terms of going into the future, but there's certainly a deep richness and a vividness about how she describes her own personal experiences, those autobiographical memories. And what about other
0: cognitive abilities, such as intelligence, attention, are they superior as well?
1: Well, actually, of course, as a neuropsychologist, that's the first thing we do is we investigate the HSAM and confirm that actually she does classify for that. But then we look at the whole cognitive profile. So the intelligence, the other aspects of memory, her language skills, her perception, her complex or higher complex thinking and problem solving. And what we actually find is there's really no difference. So it seems that the HSAM individuals are not having a selective, exceptional autobiographical memory due to exceptional other cognitive abilities. So for Becky in particular, she very much performs and is scoring on these cognitive tests in That's sort of broadly the average range. So something exceptional is going on, but it's not explained by her other cognitive skills. Mm. And is there any evidence that
0: there are structural differences in the brains of people with HSAM?
1: Yeah, there, there is some evidence. So there's been some limited studies using MRI brain scans to look at the structures. And it does appear that the autobiographical memory network, which tends to be considered as including the temporal lobes as well as the temporal pole as well as the hippocampus which is very much associated with memories and the insula. It seems like there's some changes there as well as increased areas in the chordate and putamen but I think you know at the moment these are very tentative and Becky has had a brain scan here in Brisbane but on the surface it appears that it really isn't that different.
0: Apart from the research Gail Robinson is doing with Becky on HSAM, she's involved with the Australian Government's Boosting Dementia Initiative. She sees working with Becky on her superior memory may give some valuable insights
1: into memory disorders such as dementia. My approach really is that when we have a greater understanding of memory and why is it that she has this amazing ability to retrieve her personal episodic or autobiographical memories, if we can get a handle on what she's doing differently, then that helps us devise and develop specific interventions. And one of the biggest areas in terms of dementia, for memory loss particularly, and there's lots of different types of dementia, but particularly for this memory... Is reminiscing. So if you reminisce about your personal memories, there's some evidence that this helps hold the memories a little bit longer. So what I hope is that if we can pan out what is it about the narratives and the way she describes her memories, if there are a couple key things in terms of this richness, then that's going to directly feed into what we're saying would be useful and then taking that to an intervention level to test out with people with memory loss. So it's very important to look at the theoretical aspect to understand how this memory is working in order to devise treatments and interventions that can help maintain memory as long as possible while there's no cure for dementia.
0: Gail Robinson from the University of Queensland. So for Becky, has having a remarkable memory for every day of her life been a gift or a curse for her?
2: Ten years ago, and especially seven years ago when I found out about it, I looked at it completely as a curse because I thought that I was broken, there was something wrong with me for not being able to get over past events that happened so many years ago, and I'd be too embarrassed to mention to people when I relive a memory of a child taking my lollipop as a seven-year-old, I'd feel so embarrassed telling people why I'd be upset about that. But as I'm doing therapy and as I'm moving on with my career, I'm beginning to see that it's half a blessing, half a curse. It's a perfect balance of pros and cons, and it's making me feel really happy within myself.
0: Becky is now in the process of writing a book called My Life is a Puzzle. And you guessed it, it's an autobiography.
2: It's just an autobiography of my life, my personal accounts of what it was like from being a newborn child right through to a 28-year-old. So it's just my daily life, what I did, what I thought, what I felt at different ages
0: That's funny. I was going to ask you, would you ever think of writing an autobiography? (laughs) Um, And you are writing one. I mean, you remember every single thing, so it must
2: be a bit of a tough editing process. Yeah, because I relive the emotions as I write it. So as I'm writing it, I'm going through all all these emotions. And the hardest chapter to write was when I was 14 and I was going through depression because as I was writing it, I was reliving the emotions I was feeling then. But as I wrote different years when I was happier, when I've written about holidays I've had as an adult, the same thing happens, except it's with positive memories. So I love writing those chapters. But then going back over them and editing them, that's when I feel the emotions again. But once they're edited, they're just down in print and set until I read it again.
0: Thanks to Becky Sharrock
1: for sharing her story with us today. Becky has really worked on overcoming so many of her psychological difficulties in terms of the autism and the OCD and her anxiety to almost start to enjoy now this area of HSAM and trying to get a better understanding of herself and to contribute where she can so we love working with becky and she seems to love being involved with different studies and i guess the message is watch this space hopefully we have more to say in a few months or by the end of the year
0: associate professor gail robinson from the school of psychology at the university of queensland you'll find further details on the all in the mind website Thanks today to producer Diane Dean and sound engineer Mark Don. I'm Lynn Malcolm. It's been great to have your company. Till next time.
2: And I can't forget. I can't forget. I can't forget. I can't forget, I can't forget. I can't forget